Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I'm Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. This is the continuation of the Division Capsule series that is a combination off-season review and season preview. This one is on the Southeast Division with the same two excellent guests that I had last year, Nikias Duncan of Basketball News and the Dunker Spot Podcast, and Mike Prada of The Athletic and of his new book, Spaced Out, which you can check out. Or pre-order. It's not out yet, technically. Um, Really good conversation going through these teams. It was recorded a while ago, but thankfully, and this is kind of my prediction in it, that this division wouldn't have as dramatic of shifts as some of the other ones did over the course of that time. So if you hear anything that sounds outdated, the answer is that it probably is. This episode is brought to you by BetOnline. Use the CLNS50 promo code to get a 50% welcome bonus. And the episode runs well over an hour. Lots of great stuff in here. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having us again. Happy to be here, man. We will begin this with kind of an off-season review of sorts. And the general question they like to begin, we can start with Nikias, is just, and normally this is easy, but I think it's actually in some parts a little bit harder with what happened in the Southeast Division. Which of these teams do you think got better, and which of these teams do you think got worse? Um, I would say, off-rip, I think the Hawks got better. And I think the Magic have certainly infused themselves with more young talent. Um, In terms of who got worse, I think Miami's going to miss P.J. Tucker a little bit. I don't know if they're going to miss him as much as uh, the masses feel they will. Um, while he was an important piece, like I think the way that he was defended in the playoffs and most of the regular season, honestly, but the way he's defended, like I don't think there's going to be a marginal. I don't think there's going to be a real shift there. Um, but I, I think that's kind of where I land right now. Like I do think the Heat got a little bit worse. I think the Hawks got better. I think the Magic got a little bit better. It's interesting with the PJ Tucker thing. We were sort of saying similar stuff last year, or at least I was with Milwaukee when he left to go to Miami, where it was, well, I don't think Milwaukee's going to miss him that much. He wasn't being guarded in the playoffs. And, you know, I guess we can debate whether Milwaukee missed him or what exactly caused them to fall short beyond the Chris Middleton injury on the margins. But TJ Tucker was probably better than at least I thought he would be in Miami. So why it's interesting that now we're having the same conversation, you know, Miami may be not missing him as much because of all of his weaknesses. Are we missing something here? Like, are, is maybe we they will miss him a lot more. I, I don't know. But, it you know, 
on paper, I agree that like kind of you would expect maybe Cody Mart or Kayla Martin, whichever one of the Martins they have. It's Caleb, right? They're both yes. in this division, but they have Caleb. <laughs> yeah, the one they re-signed uh, will fill in some of those spots. But you know, maybe there's something about his PJ Tuckerness that will you know, like it was the case with Milwaukee, uh, the Heat will miss. I think that's true, Mike, and I'll I'll kind of extend it beyond that, which is some something that I look for in these circumstances of a player who we're not necessarily sure the degree of their utility. I mean, PJ Tucker helps your team, like we know that, but just how much is also how capably can you replace that player? And mm-hmm. Miami, notably, didn't really add any like so it's going to be an internal thing and so they didn't really replace him in the starting lineup there are a couple different theories of how they're going to do that Caleb Martin is a totally reasonable one maybe they'll do more with Haywood Highsmith or just playing a little bit smaller but they also didn't replace as of now PJ Tucker as a small ball center option for them and you have Bam Adebayo so it's not as essential incidentally sort of like like with Philly where he where PJ Tucker ended up going where you know, you're probably not going to have him in your closing five if your center is actually healthy because your center is awesome. But there are times, including in that Celtic series, where Dwayne Dedman wasn't particularly viable. And mm-hmm. there, there are a lot of players who do similar things to P.J. Tucker. I've brought this up with Draymond ad nauseum, but do it a lot worse. And I don't even know that the Heat really have any of those available right now. Maybe Pat Riley in this front office can find somebody over the course of the year. I, I would I would give fewer... There are very few front offices that I would give that latitude to, but Miami has earned that at least a little bit over time. But I th- I think that's one way of thinking about it. It's like, okay, if it's not P.J. Tucker, who is it going to be? And I don't have a good answer. Yeah, I'm not sure what the answer. I don't know what the final answer is, I would say. Like, I do think there is a comfort level because we saw a lot of Caleb Martin at the four last season. And the Heat gave Haywood Highsmith some run during Summer League. And again, you take Summer League with a grain of salt. But in terms of filling the P.J. Tucker archetype, in terms of just being tough on the glass, taking on tough assignments defensively, shooting from the corners, like Haywood Highsmith does that. And he had some interesting energy-like flashes during his uh, limited playing time last season. So I could definitely understand. I can get why the Heat may want to give him the shot to start as well. And we've seen it year over year with them kind of finding guys with their G League program or just finding unheralded guys on the market and kind of molding them into who they want them to be. The Heat have a higher success rate than just about anyone over the last five, six years. And so I I definitely understand giving them a little bit of benefit of the doubt there. Um, and I say I don't know if that's the final one because I think they'll probably they're OK with starting that way. They're still going to be in the market for a four. Like we're still going to see their name mentioned with a John Collins or a Harrison Barnes or any kind of four that they can kind of fit in alongside Bam. Because I do think they're still looking for some sort of long term option beside him. So I, I think whether it's going to be free agency and finding another plug and play guy that can kind of give you 15 to 18 minutes until they trade for their guy or if they just make that trade for that guy. I don't think they're done at the four. There's also a guy in Brooklyn who's seven feet tall who can play the four. Uh, yeah. Also worth noting, um, although well, I didn't and, get him. Well, <laughs> and, and that ties that ties easy. in with the other really big thing to me about Miami's offseason, which is they walked in and we kind of thought there was this possibility that it was an opportunity for them to retool. I mean, the place, the focal point for me there is Duncan Robinson because Duncan Robinson functionally usurped by Max Drews, not because Duncan Robinson is a bad basketball player, but because Mar- Max Drews is better at some of the important things than Duncan Robinson is. And so, Spo, more comfortable 
comfortable playing him. No, no fault there. I, I, I agree with Spolstra and Riley's decision there to lean on Struess over Duncan Robinson. So one of the ideas that I had about their offseason was, okay, they can use Duncan Robinson because also he's basically the only big salary they have who doesn't have now an essential role in their team. And so the idea was you use Duncan Robinson to get somebody who does something different, even though movement shooting and everything else that he does is so valuable. And that hasn't happened, but there's no reason to believe that it won't happen in the future, especially unless and until Kevin Durant gets traded somewhere else. Well, you also have to consider that Robinson is being squeezed on the other end by Victor Oladipo coming back. Sure. So, you know, there's also that involved. I mean, Nikias, maybe you can answer this. Is there a chance that, you know, with Tyler Hero's extension talks coming, we may see some sort of James Harden-esque situation there where, like, you trade him early, even if it's not for Durant or Donovan Mitchell, and maybe that is the October surprise, so to speak? Um, in a non KD Mitchell deal, like I don't think I see it. I do think the Heat like him quite a bit. And I don't think Tyler Hero will command a max. Like I think if he came into it, if we got a leak that is max or bust because he's a twenty point per game scorer at twenty two or whatever his age is and he just won six man of the year and all that good stuff, then I could see Miami being like, Okay, wait, we don't wanna tie this up. He still has value right now. Even if we ex- or whoever extends him, they don't have to worry about that until the next season. Maybe we can try to exercise this now. The fact that it's not there, like I think he's gonna command over a hundred mil. Like I think him and Jordan Poole are gonna be clamoring for a similar money. Uh, because it's that, I think there's going to be something a little bit more workable. So I don't see them selling high on him, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that that makes sense. I mean, I also think, I mean, we're going back to the conversation we had last year. I feel like there wasn't a whole lot of growth here, partially due to injury and other things. But, I mean, how many of these problems are solved if Bam Adebayo takes this game to another level? You know, certainly the backup center role, you could retrofit so that Bam can essentially play the B.J. Tucker role and you can play uh, Demon or Omer Yurtsevin, and that solves some of the four problems. You know, if he if Bam Adebayo just extends his range and is becomes a much more crazy of offensive player i mean how many how many of these issues are solved and I don't know about you, but I just felt like he didn't really... It, it's not that he didn't develop last year. I just thought he kind of was the player he was. And you saw, particularly in the Celtics series, he had that one great game where the single covered him, right? Uh, and I believe that was the game Butler was out. And the rest of the series, he kind of wasn't able to punish Boston the way he was two years ago. And, you know, it seems to be at a crossroads where he's at. And again, I just think the destiny... I mean, last year, I was, again, I was low on them. They surprised me, high on the Hawks. I was wrong about that. It didn't happen the way I expected, and I feel like we're back here again. Where if you know he he's the guy that if he takes his game to another level, it solves a lot of these challenges. And I don't I don't know if the smoke and mirrors stuff that they did last year to protect that is going to work again. Uh, like it's it's one of those things where I deal with this just kind of reading from the fan base on my timeline, like. It's not a matter if Bam got better last year. He did. It's Did he get better in the areas that they needed him to get better in? Or did he get better enough? To yeah, where exactly. That's it. That's exactly what it is. And so I'm with you that I don't think he improved in the like the scoring aggression. I don't think it happened enough to where you feel more comfortable. And I think Miami's primary question that we talked about in the preseason and that I talked about throughout the year was, okay, what does this half-court offense look like against elite defenses? Because the spacing kind of is what it is. 
And aside from Jimmy Butler, who will still be seeing a bunch of unders and they're going to dare him to shoot, they need a consistent number two beside him. And you want Bam to develop into that, and he's given flashes of doing that. Even last season, he gave flashes of doing so. In the postseason, we got flashes from him, particularly the Boston game that you referenced. But it hasn't been a consistent thing yet. And I kind of wonder, like, where does Bam think his game needs to go? Because he's said so he said as much he needs to be more aggressive like he's working on x y and z like where does he see the shift coming from is it with the jumper becoming more prolific from the mid-range area is it taking more corner threes or taking more above the break threes since they use him so much as a handoff hub is it just him figuring out finishing over length like does how much does that do it because i would love for him to become a three-point shooter if he's more able to finish over taller centers and is able to maintain the free throw rate the jumper might not matter as much because just physically he's still going to be more powerful than smaller guys and quicker than bigger guys if he can figure out the finishing craft maybe that alleviates some of the jump concerns that take pressures off of jimmy butler takes pressure off of kyle lowry we'll have to see what his health is going to look like this season they'll take pressure off of victor oladipo if they're expecting more from him tyler hero doesn't have to be your end all be all aside from jimmy butler because he ended up being the answer and that's part of why i was so uncomfortable with them as like a title contender last season because aside from jimmy like their most reliable half court scorer was tyler hero a guy that got to the rim more still isn't a consistent rim th- threat he feasted on a diet of con- of contested shots and he's and more, to and more just, importantly you can play him off the floor on the other end yeah so, so it's, like you have those issues it's just a tough tightrope to walk and so yeah. like I, I i agree with your overarching point or your overarching question that i think a bam leap whatever that looks like can alleviate a lot of this because he's and i've said this consistently like he is the mismatch on the roster like jimmy butler has been miami's best player but bam is the guy that you see who's lined up against him like, uh, he's either faster than that guy stronger than that guy and or just flat out better than that guy mm-hmm. he's the one and so if he can channel that consistently i think that lifts miami's ceiling to where they want it to be absolutely i mean the other the, the one possible way that this could work out is with the departure of tucker is tucker became so good at that kind of pass and go and cut into the short roll area last year. Mm-hmm. That is kind of bam space, right? So there was, we take Tucker away, maybe you replace him with someone who's more premier oriented. Maybe bam gets that space back and he's more able to, because I just felt like there were so many times where guy bigger players just sort of sat back and waited for him to drive at them. So we talk about mm-hmm. fish and craft, you know, he's just not a guy that will he needs a little bit of a runway and he wasn't quite getting it so maybe tucker being gone and will sort of fill that void but that 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 is some possible room for optimism perhaps but you know we will we'll see but I mean, again, it just it is Groundhog Day to me for that team again. You know, <laughs> well, we're we're back to having the same conversation. The the one thing I want to add on the Heat is I think there's a distinct possibility that they miss PJ Tucker more in the playoffs. I think there is that there is an an obvious pressure, especially when we're talking about departures and additions, to think as on a team this good to think about the the end and to think about okay, they're going to do this, but. Game to game, I mean, how many different NBA teams are really going to punish you playing like Jimmy Butler and Struess or Duncan Robinson or Caleb Martin as the three and the four versus Butler and P.J. Tucker? Not that many. Like a game to game, you know, like, or where that swings the game. Like there could be somewhere they punish it a little bit, but you can get into it. But then when you're facing Giannis, when you're facing Joel Embiid, like some of these best players where you have to have more good defenders, it could be there. So I, I think and, and then the other part of it, especially especially when they lost him without functionally replacing Tucker is something I harp on a lot when there are injuries, which is 
each injury makes it harder. You know, there's a cascade. And so then if subsequent players get hurt, then it becomes a problem. So like we could see a stretch of time where like one or two other players get hurt for the Heat. And while they are better at having guys step up than almost anybody, like their roster is stronger, which I remember I was incorrect that there was this was a weakness last year. I thought, oh, they're too shallow. You know, that that's, you know, seven to 10 on their roster wasn't good. And I was wrong. Shows what I know. Um, and so I'm going to give them more deference to that they can pull that up. But that is a lot to ask. It is. And I kind of wonder, like, who are going to be those next guys? Like, Haywood Highsmith is the obvious answer as to who's going to be the unheralded guy that surprises people because that I mean the role is ready made for him. Like, if Peter Tucker is not replaced, if they don't sign another placeholder for, if they don't get in the market for, like, Heat Twitter's talked about Carmelo Anthony. He's kind of a placeholder starter just to space the floor. Like, I don't know how I feel about that. But if the Heat don't make that kind of signing, it's going to be Caleb Martin at the four. The next man up is going to be Haywood Highsmith, or maybe they go Highsmith as kind of that spot starter and they just play Caleb Martin more minutes. If you get an injury to one of those two guys, who's the option? Like, you're going to, the answer is going to likely be, okay, Jimmy, we just need you to play more four. Yeah. Which I don't love that for the regular season. I think he's very good at it. I think once the playoffs hit, I think barring a trade for like a John Collins or someone else that makes more comfortable, like, I think in the playoffs, their best lineup is going to feature Jimmy at the four and Bam at the five and then spacing it however they can. But you don't want to run that in the ground during the regular season we say this but you know what the answer is going to be they're going to create a player in 2k uh, <laughs> that comes out of nowhere and you've never heard of him and like you may as well like create a like miami heat role player generator and just like kind of attach <laughs> names to it and qualities and just be like yep that's the guy that's the lesson from last year uh there's still the class of the division i think i mean I, i'm just maybe you guys have different opinions on atlanta but i i'm not I'm not as big a DeJounte Murray fan as some people. Well, let, let's get into that. I mean, so I there are kind of two different elements of the DeJounte Murray edition. And I think the far more interesting one is not, did did they give up too much to get him? We can talk about that. That's more, I, I talk about that in other spaces where I focus on transactions and everything like that. I think the more interesting thing is, what is this Hawks team now? How are they going to incorporate DeJounte Murray into this mix and offensively, you know, defensively, I think it's pretty straightforward, especially if Murray can take a few, you know, like maybe with a slightly smaller offensive role can take more of what he was for the Spurs in 2020 and before. But offensively, it's going to be a big adjustment for both Murray and, well, not for both Murray and Trey Young, Murray, Trey Young, and of course, Nick McMillan. Yeah, I mean, I, I just sort of feel like, especially with, with Murray and with Trey Young, this sort of theoretical fit is all theoretical, right? You know, I'm not saying that people didn't watch a lot of Devontae Murray last year, but I just don't think people fully appreciate how much he had the ball in his hands and just how many sort of average shots he created, he generated because the Spurs had nobody else and how much all that happened. There's this thought that, oh, they'll they'll play really well off each other. But, like, when has Trey Young played well off anybody, you know, in terms of deferring and you know, I need to see them show a little bit more. Both players show a little bit more about of the theoretical players they can be when it comes to, you know, maybe Murray kind of playing fewer dribbles and Trey playing off the ball. For me to be fully convinced that this this fit will actually work out, we're basically what the Hawks basically did is they said we're going to surround these players and hopefully that'll force them to change. And I, I just I need to see it first. And if they are, if it turns into a situation where just the guards have the ball literally all the time and all you're really doing is you're taking 
most of the possessions, the very few that Trey Young didn't control the ball at the time, and now you're giving them to Murray. That has downstream effects for DeAndre Hunter, for uh, I guess not Herder anymore, but for some of the other players that are you know presumably could do shots for Bogdanovich, for Collins, and I just. What are we doing? We're sort of having the same general problem of, you know, there's one ball and these guys all want to dribble it. Now, defensively, I know it's definitely better than what they had, but I also, is is Murray a guy who can guard twos all the time, or is he better on ones uh, and clogging up passing lanes? I don't know if that's as seamless as it seems either. So, again, it just all of it is theoretical to me, and I just don't know if the theory matches up to reality. Uh, as someone that's a little bit, I think, just kind of reading other people's opinions, like, I feel like I'm higher on the move than most. Like, I I do want to see what it looks like when Trey has the ball in his hands. Like, what is the offense going to look like when DeJounte is spaced? Will he be an active mover and relocator? Like, we'll just have to see. So I think- what happens on 80% of the possession? <laughs> Let's see. I guess that's my thing. Yeah, I'm curious think, about that too. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I guess my thing is like, I don't think it will be like 80% of the possessions. Cause what one Trey on a very basic level, Trey has never played with a guard that is as good as DeJounte Murray, but zooming in a little bit more, who's been the paint touch guard that Trey has played with. Yeah. There like, hasn't it, really been it's, one. Like it's but, DeLon Wright. Maybe. <laughs> is that because, is that because Trey young has not played with guys who are good at that? Or is that because Trey young has never 90% of the plays are, pick and roll in some way involving him and so thus the whole setup is designed for him to be the only guy who touches the paint you know what i mean that to me is a fundamental question like to me this this you have to i gotta see trey young change his game i mean you know nikaius you're a WNBA fan you're seeing a little bit of this happen with uh arike gumbawali in dallas and trey's a better player than arike but you know you take you redistribute some of those shots and you realize that there are players in the roster who are capable of more mm-hmm. if just the, the star would just relinquish a little bit and i haven't seen trey do that yet and until i do i just uh, that's to me it doesn't matter who you pair with him and until i see him adjust his game i got you i i would just push back a little bit like i do think it's more of the former like yes trey has the ball a lot he's been their best player he's a very pick and roll heavy guard but like kevin herter is a solid pick and roll navigator but it's pretty much two levels for him like in terms of maximizing trey off the ball you have to make the defense bend to a certain extent because in a vacuum like you're not helping off a trey young like you have to be able to force rotations bogdan bogdanovich as good as he's been when he's been healthy like he's not that guy kevin herter has never been a heavy rim paint guy like, i think dejounte murray has more equity there he's more equipped to force rotations and thus that will make trey a little bit more effective off ball he should get more catch and shoot opportunities or catch and drive opportunities because he actually has a guy that one can just make playmaking reads on a level that i don't think kevin herter or bogdanovich can but as someone that can just generate paint touches and really take pressure off of him and move defenses like i think that matters quite a bit yeah i mean i agree i mean murray is way better at that than those two guys the question i is like are when you talk about two levels like is murray just a different two level driver and you just you separate like the ability to shoot off the dribble from his ability to drive but no i mean i think that's a that's true there's no i mean he is really good at getting into the paint although again you do sort of wonder a little bit like is that because he's good at it or is that because san antonio had a setup that like maximized that to what degree is one true versus the other san antonio didn't have great spacing but they did sometimes they had they had good schemes there 
I, I think there are two ways. They didn't have good shooters. They yeah. had good. They had guys who just stood on the perimeter a lot. That's true. That's sort of um, what I mean. Yeah. So we're good at making shots. I I think there. So there are two different parts of the Hawks that I think Dejounte Murray like unambiguously will help, and I, I'm interested in how much those will come into play. So one is. Murray gives them another kind of force in transition. And whether that is him having the ball in his hands or actually like running the floor and doing do, doing a little bit less of what he did in San Antonio just because Trey Young is Trey Young, we'll have to see. But having because Murray was a very effective transition player, like as a passer, actually more than as a scorer last year. I think that'll help and that could be really good for John Collins as well. And I mean Trey's Trey can do that too. And then the other one is I've been obsessed with this for Trey Young's entire career, the Hawks offense has been notoriously horrendous when Trey Young has been off the floor each of his mm-hmm. NBA seasons. And that's a part of why his, you know, whether you want to use RPM or EPM or any of those is, has been so strong is that the team can't figure it out offensively. And with heliocentric guys in particular, if you don't have somebody else who can replicate it, you either need a completely different theory of things or you need better personnel. And I think that having DeJounte, depending on how Nate McMillan runs his rotation, having DeJounte to handle that, it could patch up one of the big biggest holes within the Hawks as like kind of a, a rotational team and also bring this other benefit when they play together. Those things, but, but one of the parts that I'm just navigating with this is those things both, those things both matter. Like they're the, having better transition offense and having a better non-tray, a more, a more dominant non-tray. And then you could talk about the, the spillover de- the defensive benefits as well. Those are all good, but what's going to make this trade work for the Hawks, should it do so, is everything else needs to be better too. Like the things that I just laid out are not enough to justify to 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 make the Hawks a fundamentally different team. And in order for this trade to quote unquote work, they have to be a fundamentally better team and defining success is going to be so important for them, not even in the sense of like, oh, is a fan base happy or sad? But in terms of how the decision makers react to this season, both as it is happening, like at the trade deadline, and after it happens in the 23 offseason. I mean, haven't they sort of thrown that gauntlet down already by making this trade? You know, I mean, I think we know how they're going to react. There's urgency. You know, Uh, that's the thing about making this trade. Uh, So if it I mean, if it doesn't work or if they're disappointing, like that's, you know, that's bad. Um, that's they're going to probably react by kind of going even further in. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, to me, like defining success, I think they've kind of defined what that is. Um, do, I mean, look, do you think that's like making the making the conference finals, which they did two years ago? Is it be making some noise in the second round? I, to me, like they don't make this trade if they don't think they're a conference finals team. And I, I mean, I don't think they're going to get there. But like, that's the thing. I mean, they traded they traded three first round picks for the right to give Dejounte Murray a max in two years. <laughs> you know, like that. This is a big. I mean, this is a big move. This is like a statement of intent. You know, so uh, I think that the, the they have defined that success. And the real question is whether they're right or we're right. Um, the thing is, look, all of this comes down to, to me to one factor. Like, how much of is this nature or nurture with Trey Young? You know, is this all the things he has reached a point in his career where I think this happened in the Heat series? If you look at it, his journey, 
he cannot do it all alone anymore. He he mm-hmm. needs to change his game to get to the next level. He needs to find that he has hit that like sort of stage in his hero's journey, right? And the question now is there is no reason he cannot do that anymore. You know, they have made these moves on the assumption that 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 it is nurture, not nature, with Trey Young. And that's the question, ultimately, to me. He has to... It, it all comes down to how he changes his game to adjust to the new pieces, not the other way around, because... Yeah, that that's the way I look, and, I, and you know, I just I want to see it. I, I don't. I'm not saying I can't do it. You know, he's still so young. But to me, it's like a huge turning point in his career, and whether he's able to make that transition or he sort of is unable to kind of get out of like, I, the only way I can be the star is to to kind of have to do it all directly. Then I just think that they're gonna that if that happens, and he and them are gonna be capped as ceiling, and only by making that next growth in the superstars journey, regardless of what the roster looks like, is going to get them to where they want to be. I think that's all fair. I think I I have faith in Trey being able to do that. Like even if he doesn't turn into a screening movement guy like Steph Curry like I mean that's just not a fair comparison for anyone Steph is one of one but just even if he's not that no question no just you can't be Steph (laughs) you just can't be Steph like that shouldn't be the expectation if that's the expectation for people with DeJounte Murray coming in like you're you're setting yourself up for failure at that point but I think just the catch and shoot numbers are just going to go up playing alongside a guard that can consistently touch the paint and bend defenses in that way so I think that that's going to help and take some pressure off um you touched on DeAndre Hunter a little bit earlier I wanted to circle back to that he's sneakily like I don't think he's the most important player on the roster like that's too much obviously Trey and DeJounte are there but like DeJounte Murray is going to mean a lot to the Hawks success this year and moving forward like he's extension eligible he is their best defender and with some of the guys and some of the trades that they've made, like his defensive importance becomes even higher at this point. Well, and, and sorry, sorry to jump in, but there's also nobody, if he doesn't take the leap, they don't have anybody else at his kind of role unless it's Jalen Johnson who can't. Mm-hmm. Like so he, I, I have a couple of follow-up questions because I agree he's important. One is, why hasn't it happened yet? Uh, is it just injuries or is there something, again, that circles back just on some level to Trey where there is some like kind of he has to be sort of given more responsibility and have to grow into it. And the other the other question is sort of when you talk about what the role they have, I think that's connected to John Collins's future, right? Is his role is he no brainer at three? Do they envision him as a four and they're trading Collins? I think those are also key follow up questions when it comes to Hunter's future. Yeah, I think that's fair. I would say for a hunter, I mostly contribute that to the mostly to the injuries. I think it's connected though. I think the reason why he hasn't gotten more on ball usage, I don't think he maps the floor particularly well. And I don't know how much of that is well, Trey has the ball all the time, so he hasn't been able to develop it, or that's just him. Because like even in college, he wasn't super big playmaking forward at Virginia. So like I don't know how much of that is Trey based or that's just him. And the injuries certainly don't help because whatever time he would be getting to get more of those reps and gain more experience, he's just missing out because he's been hurt every year. Um, but to that point, I think he's too good at on ball. He's too good at on ball things to just be pigeonholed as a spacer offensively. Like I think that much is true. I don't know how much. I don't know what the balance is for him. Honestly, like I think he's someone that can attack closeouts. We've seen him operate in pick and roll and be able to get to pull up um, in the mid range, and he looks pretty comfortable at doing that. He can post up smaller guys. I don't know how much of a diet you can give him of that though, because the ball does it halts when he has it, and even if he does a good thing, like I've particularly last year, it never felt like great process when he was self creating, even if the shots went in. And he was creating decent shots for himself. So I don't know how you 
I don't know how you find that balance. And I also don't know how you find that balance in a Nate McMillan offense, but that's a whole nother thing. Like, I have my questions with Nate. But uh, uh, DeAndre Hunter's interesting to me in that regard. And to the John Collins point, like, it does feel like what he's good at, and if you want to maximize the advantages that he can attack, like, I think he's best used at the four. I don't know what that means for John Collins, though. I'm amazed he's still on the team. I really am. Yeah, and I, I, I don't understand what the problem with him is, with why they always wanted to trade him. But, like, I get it on that. I, I don't quite it's amazing that he's still there isn't it he's been in the rumor mill for basically before he signed the contract extension like i remember writing the piece like wait the hawks have drafted these players that can play the three or the four they signed these guys that can play the four i think it's when they added gallows like wait a minute he also plays the four john calls his extension eligible what does this mean then he gets the extension and they still want to trade him and now he's still in the (laughs) rumor mill like even around the draft there was his name was floating out there i don't I don't know what they want from him. Like he was almost purely <laughs> a pick and pop. He was almost purely a pick and roll big when he came in. He has become a ve- he's become a very good big man shooter, and he is shooting high thirties, low forties on above the break threes. Mm-hmm. So he's doing that. The, the defense was mad, but like he's gotten better at the weak side protection. Like he took some steps as yeah. a five when they go smaller. Like still isn't great. Like you can still attack him, but well, he, he's gotten he's better, better in that. short roll too. Like I, I remember playmaking to me was a big question with him. I think that he's answered that. I'm, I don't know. Shit. I, I love the Wizards to trade for him. I think he'd be great <laughs> next to Porzingis, but that's a whole separate conversation. Like he's, he's a good dude and he seems to be like, He's a good dude and a really good player. Like, I don't get it. Like, if you're trading I don't him. Know. I, I, I don't have, know. I have one thought on this, and it's that as a practical consideration, you think about the – so you, you think about the primary actions that run through the NBA, whether it's a high pick and roll. There are a lot of different other ones you can do. Typically, they only involve – unless it's a double drag, which, of course, the Hawks have done very well at times. It only involves one big man or you could say one non-ball handler is the typical thing. And one of the problems for teams is when you don't use the center – then where is the center going to be? And, you know, they can be in the darker spot, but then that brings the help and everything else. And so I think, like, for, for I mean, considering how gifted John Collins is, that he last year had had a usage rate of 20.5, like, it's just, it's a reminder of that. And so for the Hawks, I think it's kind of the idea of, we know this guy is good, it works out well, but we don't really have the way to fully get there. And... I think that pisses Collins off, too, because he's like, well, just use me more. Like, that is the solution here. The solution here is I'm good. You know I'm good. Just let me do more. And it just hasn't gotten there. Let let him do more. Let Hunter do more. Uh, you know, maybe let's see if we can let DeJounte do more. I mean, I feel like the all the roads lead back to the same point. <laughs> just saying. Well, well, I'll, I'll let I'll let the someone road... has to do less if they're all going to do more. And 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 who could that possibly who could that possibly be? Plenty more with Mike and Nikias, but first a message from BetOnline.ag. Football is back, and BetOnline is your number one source for all your football betting needs and sports information this season. Find all the latest football odds, news, and game matchups, including this year's opening week's games, which I'm very excited about. BetOnline is your continued source for all your wagering information, including live betting, free contests, and live scores. And it's always the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports and live events, including MLB, MMA, tennis, boxing, and even golf. So head to betonline.ag and use the CLNS50 promo code to get your 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit. And remember, make sure to use that promo code CLNS50 to receive your rewards at BetOnline, where the game starts. 
<laughs> Mike, before before we started recording, Nikias and I were talking about how one of the things we're most excited on this podcast was to hear your thoughts on the Washington Wizards offseason. So the floor is yours. Look, the, the overall goals are kind of ridiculous and don't make sense. Within those overall goals, they I thought they did a pretty good job. You know, it's just the same question, same thing repeated ad nauseum, really. You know, if as long as you can get over the fact that like they really should not be shooting for this super average team that's expensive and like suddenly now held hostage by Bradley Beal and there's no trade clause. Once you get past like maybe that's not a good strategy for building your team. I thought they did a pretty good job. I thought that was a pretty good trade for them. Uh, I think Monty Morris is a good player. Uh, I think Will Barton will help them. I, I, I think KCP had a kind of half expiring deal. So I think that asset makes sense to shore up a position. You know, the point guard spot was a huge problem last year and when you consider that you want to play Porzingis spread out and you want Beal to have some on-ball reps that I think Morris is a pretty good fit uh, but it, you know what? What is the point of all this? Is sort of the question that looms over everything, and it that hasn't changed. And that's not going to change by just inserting yourself into some Donovan Mitchell rumors without any real way to get him. You know, I see, I see through that. I think we all do. Like, I don't <laughs> think they're getting him. Uh, the one, the one, the only thing that I think could really change a lot of this, and I don't think that this is going to happen, but I think it's the big, most curious thing. Is all right. So when's the last time Chris S. Porzingis had a healthy offseason? Is that going to change him back? Has he has he worked on his body? Has he worked on his biomechanics? Has he kind of become quicker? Is it possible that like really what has been ailing him over the last few years is just not having that time? And now that he has that time, it could transform things, whatever that looks like. I mean, to me, that's the only thing and I I'm just not that's like a, I think too a hope too far but that would be interesting if whatever he becomes, he becomes something closer resembling to the player he was in New York. And I'm not saying he's going to be that player, but that would be interesting. And there are sort of a lot of periods of his career where it's like, well, he's got that part down and then he's got that part down and then he's got that part. And it's just like, man, why can't you have all these parts down at the same time? And like, maybe he gets there. I don't know. I'd be curious to know what he's doing this offseason. That's all I'm saying. Oh, uh, well, per an <laughs> email that I got earlier this summer, that was cleaning just peel the curtain back was cleaning out the dunkers by email a while ago uh he is collaborating with game patch which apparently provides gear that kind of helps with injury prevention so i think that's at least one thing that he's attempting so we'll see how that goes when you say collaborating what do you mean do you mean he's like a <laughs> spokesperson it's he it would appear so <laughs> okay <laughs> So I mean, hey, there, there's an answer to well, what he's attempting. His PR people know how to brand him. That's good. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. You heard it here first. But uh, beyond that, like the healthy offseason has to help at least a little bit. I don't know how much it functionally changes because I think with him, I just he has to be able to beat switches for him to matter in like a playoff sense. I think during the regular season, he's good. Like, he's 7'3", can shoot. Like, that's going to have some value. If he can't beat switches, I just don't know what Kristaps does for you. And if he can't beat switches, like, the, the idea of the Bill Porzingis pairing doesn't really do much because it's just going to be Bradley Bill isoing more. And he can do that. He's a very good scorer. But, like, what is that? How does that help everyone else, I guess? So I, I don't know. Like, I, I want Kristaps to do well. I just don't know what 
but that's where I come back to with the wisdom. It sounds so reductive. This is mostly why I wanted to hear what your thoughts were. But I just I'm at such a what does it mean place with the wizards because like I look at the movies. It's so that they hard made. to get past that, right? <laughs> <laughs> like... It's just I like Monty Morris individually. Like I I am cool with the Johnny Davis pick. His the summer league wasn't great, but like I think playing with better talent, he'll be more equipped and more able to attack tilted defenses. That's where he's at his best. Like I'm not super worried about that. Like I love like I really like Denny. I want to see him. I want the wizard to become good so they can actually accentuate what he does well. Because I think he's best utilized on a great offense because of the playmaking and the reason he can make. And there just isn't enough there for him to do it consistently. But like I like a lot of the players and you put them together. It's like, okay, this is 40 wins. Like, I don't. We're having the same conversation every year. So yeah. That's the thing. Imagine rooting for them. It's like Groundhog Day. <laughs> uh, um, I mean, well, and so like, if it, one, one of the weird things for me about the Wizards, particularly this year, is they have a lot of players I like. They have a lot of players that I think can be good, that have been successful in different roles on different teams you know like I'm, I'm impressed with the growth that kuzma's had i think that will barton can give them something a little bit different porzingis and you know beal if he can play more like he did you know a couple of years ago before whatever happened last year my kind of i guess m- my two big things with them one is can their defense be good enough to kind of give them to, to raise their floor and We'll have to see. I mean, that that would be very, very good for them, and that can be a huge difference. So last year, the Wizards ended the season 25th. The year before that, they were 16th. And if they're, you know, round league average on defense, then or in that range, then it makes things a lot easier. And so Porzingis is key to that. Maybe Daniel Gafford. What can they get from Denny Avdia and everything else? But for me, the bigger one is they have some good play finishers or adept play finishers, whether that's shooting a three or, you know, finishing around the basket or some of those things. Mm-hmm. And they have play starters, but they don't have that, oh, no type of player. The one who just, you know, the game breaker. And we, uh, Nikai has brought this up previously in terms of BAM, the like the 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 person who you're like, oh, this is this is the one we're going to have to deal with. And like, I mean, ideally, they have a bunch of different guys that at moments in time can step into that, including Beal and Kuzma. Uh, and Monte Morris is, I think of him as a table setter in kind of a different mode, but he can do some of that as well. And that's not really what DeLon Wright does, though I like DeLon Wright quite a bit. And so I'm, my instinct is that they don't have enough, you know, enough creating an advantage to maximize everything else, but it wouldn't take a dramatic step forward from anybody, whether it's individually or collectively to get there. Mm. I mean, it all comes back to Borzingas again. I mean, these are—it's what Nikias is talking about. Like, if he can beat switches, then he becomes that game changer. If he doesn't, then you have the same problem. And you talk about the defense. I think that's a good thing to bring up because, actually, to me, like the Porzingis question is more relevant on defense because, at his stage that he was at without while recovering from injuries and like sort of his body breaking down because it's not built to handle his frame and all of that stuff that has happened, what has mostly suffered is his. Defensive mobility. You know, he's kind of become, if he's planted at the rim with his hands up, he's good, but he can't do the other stuff. And that mm-hmm. is not the promise that you had when he was the unicorn. And if that's the type of player he is, it limits the type of scheme you can play and it limits the players you can play alongside him. And so now you have this problem where you've actually traded your best sort of clamp defender. Uh, and you also have a guy, a, a four slash five, whatever he is, that, you know, can't come out 
out beyond the third, the free throw line and any pick and roll coverage, that has to change. I mean, and, and so that will change if his body is feeling better and if he's more mobile. And it's not going to take much, but that's what has to be rebuilt. And so it's just a lot of bet. It's a lot of faith in Porzingis ultimately. To, to, that's the only way that they kind of any of these questions get resolved. Because otherwise, yeah, it's just a team with a bunch of guys. You know, what is Rui Hachimura? And he's extension eligible. Who knows? Danny Avdia has got some cool things, but where does he slot in? I think I love Kuzma last year, but like, you know, what has he duplicate that? And like, what is the, the long-term slotting fit? Like, how does he, you know, and, and do, do some of these veterans, whether it's Kuzma or Will Barton in particular, I could see this happening with like, do they, does it need to play them take away from any development of the youngsters? And if that's the case, why wouldn't you be more proactive to try to trade the young guys for some more veteran help? But, oh, wait, nobody knows who these young guys are because they've been in the same holding pattern for the whole time. So to me, like, it's sort of like kind of, they're betting an inside, they're, they're, they're playing the inside straight draw on Porzingis kind of bouncing back. And I just don't know if that's going to happen. I guess to that point, and a bit of an unfair question, <laughs> considering what you just said, but like, what is the Wizards' best lineup? That's a good question. I mean, I uh, yeah, it's a really, I mean, the first question is sort of, again, it starts with where's Porzingis playing, four or five, are you playing him? I don't think that they were very reluctant to play him with Gafford last year. Uh, I think they mostly think of Porzingis as a five. If Kuzma is your four, you know, he worked so hard last year, but I just think he doesn't have it, it's tough to ask him to be a full time four. He's just he's limited. You know, he did he squeezed every ounce of defensive ability out of his body last year, I thought. Mm-hmm. But it's just not it's not great enough. And you know, Denny is more of a the perimeter defender and he's got all sorts of challenges. And you know, Rui is not proven to be a good defender. So who do you play there? My fear is that they're just gonna like kind of slot Barton in there uh and play Morris Beal, Barton, Kuzma, Porzingis all the vets you know and then these young guys is sort of like what are we doing with them i mean i think that's the most likely scenario that might be their best lineup next year but again unless porzingis is a break is a game changer again that doesn't really do much for you they just they have so many fours on the roster or so many players that are probably best utilized as a four in some capacity and you just can't build the boat out of that i don't think you can if Porzingis is like this, like positionalist, like sort of unicorn esque. Mm-hmm. He can play anywhere, but you can't if he's not. Oh boy. We spent a lot of time so far talking about three teams, and part of the reason for that is because the other two teams in this division haven't made, they didn't make, add new players via trade, and they also have not signed a free agent that played on another team last year, and that would be the Orlando Magic and the Charlotte Hornets. The Hornets situation is so unusual due to the ongoing Miles Bridges situation. And that's very difficult to navigate, not only, of course, for the Hornets, but also for us. So I think we'll kind of leave that as it is for right now. We'll talk about them as a team, of course. And I think the Magic are an interesting, like, the decision that they made, and I, I think about Dan Feldman I'll, I'll talks about this, that the status quo is a choice too. And we think about the there are currently as we're as we're recording this podcast two different teams that are sitting out there with a ton of cap space meaning the San Antonio Spurs DeJounte Murray's former team and the Indiana Pacers what the magic chose to do instead was instead of using cap space, they stayed over and used bird rights to sign Gary Harris, Mo Bamba, and to a lesser extent, Bull Bull, to these two-year contracts with non-guaranteed second years. And Mm. that non-guaranteed second season makes it that they can be traded without their consent. It also means that if they theoretically were to, that, that the Magic have flexibility, whether it's in a trade or 
just keeping them that they can that they will have a decision point in 23 you know in late june in most of these cases on whether they want to keep player x or they want to have they want to open up that cap space and put them in through the waiver process and at first i was very dispirited by that the idea that you know oh you know like the mystery box can be anything it could maybe even be a good player but when especially when you consider that at this moment in time those the other two teams i mean the pacers tried with aiden haven't really done a whole lot i think there's a reason to believe that the magic will get more out of this than the other two teams will out of what they did just real quick on charlotte just so that we like kind of cross our eyes and dot our t's it is the allegation is against miles bridges are uh incredibly disturbing he's charged with three felony counts which is again this is not like a tip is even worse than most domestic abuse cases there's obviously video that's uh, disturbing that's out there it is just worth noting that the league i believe sets uh suspensions for this thing not the team right i believe so yes so just from a practical sort of standpoint like even if they were to just sort of say all right let's kind of keep his rights like they have no clue how long he would be on they have no say on that right you know that is an adam silver decision ultimately and um, I, I believe the league does that because that's what makes the most sense because if you gave the teams the latitude on it then you would the, you would worry that they would that they would under that that it yeah. would be bad for the league because they would they would be focused they have different priorities than the league does in terms of punishment yeah absolutely and i, I agree with you it's just it's worth noting that like part of like i expect this holding pattern to go on for a while because you know again like the legal process got play out and there's a lot of legal stuff to play out there with just the how i mean he could be in prison like there's a very you know there's a very good chance of that given the charges yet all right back to orlando i just wanted to sort of cross that absolutely and i appreciate that you did so yeah um with the the question you're talking about like i mean the logic for doing that is basically to me is okay we've got our potential franchise player now let's give at least some time for these guys to see how they play with Bancaro where that probably on some level maybe is that thinking where it's like it's a lot easier to evaluate theoretically how good I don't know Mo Bamba, Gary Harris and even the guys they still have where you know Suggs and Fultz who I'm really curious about and Cole Anthony and all the, and all that you know when now you have not just Franz Wagner but Bancaro as like the foundation that to me is I would imagine is the logic of why they just chose to go that way uh, and I think that makes some sense. I think it's worth seeing what you have there. You want to see what the collection of talents is like. They're another team that has a lot of players in the three, four, five range, but a lot of interesting skill sets to fit. Like I, I was surprised that they brought Mo Bamba back in particular, especially once they, uh, especially once they drafted Paolo. I was like, oh, with the wind, with the year they got from Wendell, they draft Paolo. They have Franz Wagner. Like that just seems like the natural three, four, five. So try to work out a sign and trade or something with Mo Bamba. That's what I thought was going to happen, but they brought him back. So I'm curious to see how they dole out those front court minutes. Uh, I'm glad you brought the backcourt, though. I am very curious to see how they dole out the backcourt minutes because I, I just don't know. I like Jalen Suggs. Like, I'm not super dispirited about a rookie year. Like, he didn't shoot well. There are some things to work out offensively. I love what I saw from the defensive end. I think he's a guy that can generate paint touches pretty consistently. I I like him moving forward. I don't know how you give him touches while also figuring out what Markel Fultz is, while also having Cole Anthony as, like, a high-minute, high-shot attempt starter. Like, there has to be some like, there has to be some sort of consolidation, I think. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's one of those, I think, conversations where, like, in theory, as, like, if you're a front office executive looking at the trajectory of the team, you're saying, well, why why not get more information on all of the guys I have, right? But the actual process of how that plays out, you know, is much messier, particularly for Jamal Mosley. I mean, like, God, that guy has a hard job this year. Yeah. Right? And then you kind of throw in the fact that, like you said, that these guys will take away from each other, you know, not just minutes, but opportunity and spacing. You know, I think that that is it is very hard to thread that that line. You know, I think you need even as you're building slowly. And I actually think the Thunder do a good job of this. Is you still have to have like some thought of like, well, Josh Giddy works with Shea Gilgis Alexander and Chet Holmgren works with all of them. Their skill sets seem to complement each other in Orlando. I mean, this is a problem they've had for a decade, you know, right? You know, to have these guys complement each other. I wonder if the smarter move and, you know, is it better? Were they better off being too early? Not just in letting Mobamba go, but I, I sort of wondered if, like, what, why not look to trade Cole Anthony now, you know, given the his value uh, and given that you have Fultz and Suggs? Fultz is on a big money deal. Fultz is kind of one of those players that has to, you need to fit him in with a certain type of roster. Uh, you did draft Suggs and Park as you pro- thought he may have some point guard capability. And now you've added a Bancaro who's a point forward. I thought that might have been a move that they should have looked at more closely. And so that it's really uh, maybe Jamal Mosley is the person and given the long latitude he has that can kind of navigate those balances. But that is the pitfall I think a lot of these teams run into is what makes sense on a on a GM's board you know, someone's got to actually carry out the experiments. Yeah. I mean, to use the old Parcells analogy, they have a lot of groceries. I don't know how you what, what kind of dish you turn this into. And mm-hmm. that's going to be yeah. really just weird to navigate with this team. And I mean, I, I like that, Mike, that you brought up the front court. And I think that's an important place to start. There's also a Jonathan Isaac size question here, which is God, like, forgot about him. Like, God damn that that like they, you know, so you have this other guy who, when he's available and healthy, is really good. And so, how does he fit into all this? Is there is there an iteration that it's Isaac at the five, or you know, Isaac and Wendell Carter, who we've never really seen those guys, you know, have extended minutes together? How is that going to work? And I think part of the idea of like, well, how are you going to navigate this with the guards is that none of them had super high value. And so you kind of want to see who could do and it could lead to a circumstance where you sell low on one of them in time. That could even be just like cutting Marco Fultz as a light partial guarantee or keeping keeping a lot of them around. You know, you can can game it out. But one thing that I really like about Orlando, if Jamal Mosley, again, this is the hard thing about converting these groceries into a meal is I really like retaining Gary Harris and theoretically having Jonathan Isaac because I think one of the – and this is one of the takeaways that I had years ago from the process Sixers – is in order to evaluate the players that actually matter. So you talked about it in terms of evaluating, um, in terms of evaluating various different things. But I think of having guys like Harris and Isaac and Fultz, ideally, if he can be the guy that we hope, even a version of the guy that we hope he can be, is to evaluate Bancaro and to evaluate Franz Wagner. And so the players that you think of as potential cornerstones or pieces of the young core, however we want to define terms, is to put them around competent players. And so having Gary Harris, who is a set it and forget it two guard, so that even if you're, you know, you're trying out these three different ones, and hopefully one of them works, or two of them, or three of them work. But you have Harris there, you have Isaac in the rotation somewhere, where in the hell he is, I don't know. 
And then, so what that means is you have these elements of stability where, because you don't want five things that you're all trying to figure out. It's just too much to deal with. But if you have a couple and you're like, I know what I'm going to get from him, he knows what to do within the flow of the offense, then you can start to be like, how does this work with Paolo? How does this work with Jalen Suggs? How does this work with Wendell Carter? Yeah, I mean, that's why I would have traded Cole Anthony, <laughs> you know, because that, that's the fly in the ointment. Um, and obviously they couldn't do anything with Mo. I mean, they could have just let Mo Obama go. But yeah, no, I mean, it, that's the thing. I mean, I think they're sort of counting on like Bancaro, like the cause and effect of the Bancaro kind of draft pick could go both ways. Like, once we see our our crown jewel, we'll know what these other diamonds are. Or I don't know what the analogy I'm looking for is, um, but you know what I'm saying. But you're right; it also works the other way. I mean, the, the Wizards had us. John Wall's people had a saying about this. I remember. I think this came in some news reports. It's like, you know, how can you how can you evaluate the crops if the soil's bad? You know, that was sort of when it seemed like his career had stagnated early on. So it's the same concept and. You know, maybe, may, again, maybe Jamal Mosley, like, kind of finds a way. I mean, I just, I, I think the, the pivot point to me is Anthony because, you know, at the end of the day, he's the guy that got, through circumstance, a lot of shots last year and a lot of kind of attention and, you know, showed some things he could do. I think it's very hard to put the toothpaste back in the tube there, and you might have to do that if suddenly Bancaro is, I mean, there's, you're obviously going to put the ball in his hands a lot. So I, I thought they should have anticipated that and made that move. I guess with Cole, like it's, it's a tough thing. Cause with, like you said, like he did get a lot of usage last year and it's kind of hard to dial that back in, but also he's important. Cause out of that point guard room, he is easily the best shooter that they have. And I think you're, you have to have someone that can one, just space. If you're going to the point forward experiment with Paolo or Franz Wagner, who also looked good with on ball reps, and also, if you're activating either of those two guys as screeners, like Cole can make some pick and roll plays for you. So I, I don't know what you do. With that. It's also a situation like what is his value elsewhere? Because like I've always said, he feels super sub to me. Like he feels like a six man on a good team to me. Like what does that look like in a trade? Like what is Orlando getting back for someone who's valued like that? I just don't know. Yeah, so I, I mean, guess, it's a good question. I mean, I guess the shooting thing maybe that gets somewhat alleviated if you're if you're using Wendell Carter at the three point line more and you're playing Bamba. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, those are. I mean, what is his value? Is sort of an interesting question. But I, I often think you if you're you're better off being too early than too late on some of those players. You you are, but also like if you don't, I, I think it's it's sometimes it's better to wait and sell low if you don't think you have the answer somewhere else. And so if you know if Suggs had had a different rookie year, maybe you feel maybe you feel a little bit. Different differently about it or you know Fultz had this very strange season as well I want to talk a little bit about Ben Caro and it's always important to remember that rookies are very rarely positive players and the magic don't actually you know that's not necessarily what they're looking for but we like we start with Nikias of just like what are you hoping to see from Ben Caro this year what are you expecting to see from him I am expecting some good things from offense. He's so fun offensively. Like, he's already pretty refined in the mid post. And I think Orlando has been searching for someone that can kind of spearhead their offense for a long time. And I think he has the skill set with what he's able to do as a driver on the block. And the passing flashes are incredibly fun with him. So I think there's a lot that they can do with him. I just wonder, okay, how are you going to space the floor around him? Like, how do you how do you build around Paolo? And it's year one. So, like, I'm not expecting Orlando to try to make moves for them to 
to be a top four seed or something. But I do want to see what division is like. And I think that's kind of the overarching thing with this roster, where it's like these are a lot of you have a mix of good players and intriguing young prospects. A lot of them need leeway to kind of grow into what they could be. And there's so much positional block because it's the roster is cluttered. Like, I don't know where you go with it. But I think in terms of Paolo, like I, I do want to see what the offensive responsibility is going to look like. I want to see how him and Franz are able to play off of each other. That, that seems like a pairing that's going to click pretty early. Um, defensively, like I kind of like the if they don't make a move and they need to, but if they don't make a move, like I kind of like the infrastructure that he's going to be surrounded with. Like Franz is already a good defender. You have Wendell who can play in multiple schemes. Mobamba's a shot blocker. Um, at the point of attack, Markel Fultz is still a good point of attack defender. Jalen Suggs again. I am a fan of his defensively. So I want to see if he's able to bring that energy as well and really make Orlando a good unit defensively. Um. I think that's kind of where I start. Mike, what about you? What are you expecting from Paolo? No, I think you're right. All the things you said are great. I think from a big picture perspective, I'm curious, does he does he start strong and tail off or does he upward trajectory? And the other one is can what happens when he's humbled on defense because he's going to be humbled. I, I think that <laughs> the real the real kind of key of the long term growth to me is like I just is he a good is he like a great NBA athlete or is he just sort of you know what he is now? I, I don't know if he's quick enough yet to be the play. He's a little doughy and needs to get cut up and it, it that's where the welcome to the NBA stuff comes into play because. He can do a lot of things, but, you know, he's going to I think he's going to learn whether it's he learns it. That's why I'm curious if he learns it right away or if he learns it after some early success and what that trajectory is. He's going to learn that uh, these guys are better athletes than him. And he has all the skill he had in college. Like he just needs to get his body in on another level. Uh, he's big. He's just a little doughy. And so it, it, how he learns and internalizes that lesson to me is, is a real interesting thing. Tactically and skill set wise, you covered it pretty well. My, my big question with Ben Caro is going to be, how does he fare against like-sized defenders because i like a lot of what he can do against actually bigger guys use some of that use some of those quicks and you know like his handle for his sizes and his passing are very good and i would i actually wish we had seen more of ben caro at duke on smaller guys it just really wasn't the way their offense flowed in the footage that i watched or he got that but i I think ben caro has the tools to be totally fine there i'm not worried but it's the when you're guarded by a 6'9 6'10 guy who's as strong or stronger than you what are you you doing to create an advantage and the unfortunate thing for Bancaro is that those players don't really exist in college but they sure as hell exist in the pros and I I'm optimistic at where he will be eventually but that is going to be a new challenge for him and it's not even as much does he succeed or does he fail but how does he handle it mentally and what tricks does he develop or already have to make those things work for him it's, uh, it's not that different from what happened to Kate Cunningham last year, I think. Yeah. There's that sort of question. But, yeah, I think we can all agree, though, he's the rookie we're most excited to watch. <laughs> in this division? Yes. I mean, in any division, honestly. <laughs> uh, this is this is Jovich slander. Actually, I am kind of in the same roster crunch that Washington or Orlando has. But, like, I kind of like the A.J. Griffin pick from the Hawks. And then he was already hurt and just didn't play in summer league. But also, he kind of to the spacing point like he is a lethal shooter i wonder if they can find some playing time for him um but yeah palo's the guy (laughs) for me to watch also love caleb houston i I think he's going to end up playing a role for them this year that kind of size and that kind of shooting ability is it that vibes what orlando needs and he doesn't need the ball 
So I think he's going to find his way on the court. Man, the guys, you really reverted to to type right there with that answer. Hey, I, love man, I, I love it. I love it. I love it. I mean, how, how wild would it be if the eventual PJ Tucker solution is just Jovic is just really good and it's just worked right away? I mean, I'm not expecting it. I mean, he doing that, but it would be that would be the kind of in some ways the most amusing solution to this is the like six foot ten Serbian guy who they just drafted, like the first international they've drafted in years, and it just works out. That would be so, that would be peak Miami Hill. Yeah, uh, just as long as we can stop hearing about how his name is one letter different than the MVPs. Yeah, we we like we get it. It's, <laughs> like, it's when, like, when he's drafted, he's asked like, "What's it like to have a name that's like someone else?" That's just so strange to me. <laughs> you remember that interview? That was just weird. Yeah, I'm just like, why are we doing like this? Is a thing that's much. I, I struggled as you say cooler, but it's a lot cooler online than it is to the actual person. Like I'm sure yeah. he's been. Here hearing that for yeah <laughs> and, it, and it's not like they're like they i they, that they have like identical games or something like that it's just like it's just here is something that happens um yeah i i agree with that as um, someone who like always has their name people think that their name is something else like i identified with him <laughs> you you felt seen in that moment i felt i felt like i knew where he was i i i, I recognized the like sort of awkward half smile that he showed i was like yeah i i've, I've been there buddy <laughs> Man, let me tell you that's another podcast <laughs> we, we, <laughs> Danny Leroy. <laughs> yeah, oh my! Oh, the volume of different things that I've gotten. But um, let's, we're going to do a more abbreviated kind of season preview part of this. Um, we can start with Nikias. Just you can use whatever criteria you want, but rank these Southeast teams one to five. Oh boy! Well, I will just rank them in terms of where I see them finishing in the regular season. And so I think the Heat wind up with a better record still. Like, I think they'll be able to turn out regular season wins. I do, again, like, in terms of their playoff aspirations, they're going to have to make a move at the four. Like, it may not have to be as big as Kevin Durant, but they have to do something for the playoffs. But for the regular season, I think they'll be able to turn out enough wins. They have Bam and Jimmy. I think we're going to get a better Kyle Lowry this year. So I I would have them at the top of the division for me. Um, I would have the Hawks second. I've struggled between the Hornets and the Wizards. I'm just totally disillusioned by the Hornets based on everything that's going on but also like steve clifford just makes teams rebound and not turn the ball over as much as they did the year before <laughs> so i'm also just like if he can rein in Lamelo from a turnover perspective and tighten up some screws defensively at all like there's still talent on the roster and also i don't know if there's a such thing as a healthy gordon hayward but if such a thing exists he should help them he is a good player that can play both forward spots it can help with some of the half court lows that they had last year when he was absent so I, I tentatively have them at third. I'd have the Wizards four and the Magic five. Yeah, the same, but I'll flip the two, three, and four spots with very little conviction. Yeah, I don't think there's a lot of wiggle. I, I have the Heat in a separate kind of, if you want to think about it, as tier from the Hawks. I mean, they were one of the league's best regular season teams and dealt with a ton of injuries last year. I think the Hawks mm-hmm. will be better than they were last year, but it's a lot to ask to be as good as the Heat were. Even And losing P.J. Tucker, I, I've said that I think that's more of a playoff problem than regular season problem. Hornets Wizards is incredibly hard to parse, especially given the Miles Bridges circumstance. But I, I think Nikias's point about Clifford is is an important one, and that he can if he can help stabilize even part of their defense, their personnel is still flawed. We didn't talk about Mark Williams at all, but if they can get you know if they can get anything better from the center position defensively than they got last year from a couple of mm-hmm. different bites at the apple, that could really help. And 
maybe I, I'm not saying Steve Clifford is going to make LaBello a good defender, but if he can help kind of instill a little bit more of that, it could be it could be good for them. I'm still going to go with the Wizards over in part because the Wizards over the Hornets in part because they, you know, like they have a lot of different options and like I, the Hornets are a little bit to me shorthanded now. And if, you know, there is an extended absence with Bridges, then that will be something they have to deal with. And then the Magic, they're in a different boat because they're not necessarily trying to be in the same boat. I will say... I don't think it's 22-23. I think it's probably 23-24. It wouldn't surprise me if the Magic... That's basically the same thing. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise (laughs) me if the Magic take a significant step forward in terms of wins. I just don't Mm -hmm. think it's this year. I think it's probably next year. There's a lot for them to figure out. They're not... You know, Weltman isn't putting the pedal to the metal right now. But they have a lot of good players. Mm -hmm. And if Bancaro can be the guy who can kind of get their offense to a even slightly credible level, I think the defensive foundation here is pretty good. So if they're 20th in offense as opposed to 30th in offense, you're starting to get into a range where they can actually make some play in noise. I don't think that's this year, though. I can see it, like, very quietly. kind of lost in the like Kyrie just bombed him for the 60 piece or whatever it was in the second half of the year like the Magic were, had the seventh best defense in basketball post all-star break for whatever you want to whatever salt you want to put into that if they get healthy like they just have a whole lot of length on the floor and to your point like they don't have I don't know if they're going to have bad players in their rotation I think it's more likely Detroit is the team you're talking about than Orlando but we'll yeah, that's, see that's my pick in that <laughs> regard yeah hey, can I qu- very quick Hornets rant Sure. Very quickly. Because the defensive personnel, like, I don't think it's fully understood, like, how bad the defensive personnel was overall. And so when James Borrego got fired, it just annoyed me that that seemed to be the natural way to go. Like, that's how it works in the league, where you, like, the Hornets were in the play and lost both play in games they had over the past couple of seasons. So you kind of had to make a move. I don't know, like, he didn't fail from a lack of effort. And it just kind of felt like he was kind of pigeonholed as this guy that just didn't do anything. Like, the Hornets ran more zone than just about anyone over the last two years. Different types of zones. Like, they shifted defensive schemes a bunch. We saw Mason Plumlee in the drop. We saw him at the level. The personnel was bad. And so, as much as I do think Steve Clifford's going to help, at a certain point, the Hornets have to make, like, a full-scale shift in organizational importance on the defensive end. Like, I think that's where the Mark Williams pick comes in, though they also, like, were part of the Jalen Duran trade that was just... Don't get me started on that. But I don't I don't know. Like I even with Mark Williams, like I think he's I think he projects as a really good defender. I'm also very concerned about if he can score it at all. His so, touch his touch wasn't amazing. Yeah, like, and again, you grain of salt for summer leagues. I'm not gonna have hammer that too heavily, but like he's gonna have to do something on the offensive end for Steve Clifford in particular to justify paying playing him more than Mason Plumley. He's gonna trust his vets. So I don't know what the impact level is going to be there. And also just rookie bigs generally aren't great defenders defense in their first year anyway. So I don't know. Like and that's why aside from the Miles Bridges thing, which again I don't want to see him on the basketball court to be clear. But beyond that, the fact that they haven't done anything for it, like that re-signed Cody Martin, which I think was important. He had a good year for them. He was their best perimeter defender last year which is a testament to him and also part of the problem if Cody Martin is your best perimeter defender that's an issue so like the fact that they haven't done anything to try to shore that up like I don't know if Montrez Harrell's back he certainly won't help the defense but (laughs) like some they have to do something like sign a change of pace guard that can get a point of attack defender to throw out for 12 minutes a night get they have to do something for this change it's a little telling that Kenny Atkinson took the job and was like actually no thanks (laughs) 
and that never that be. never happens. So I mean, I don't think maybe that was entirely about Bridges, but I doubt yeah. it. I, I think it was you know that they said, oh, you have to retain some of the coaching staff because we want to save money, and he's like, oh, not necessarily even like that's oh, the... but but that that's illustrative of the yeah. problem. It's not a, yeah, it's that's not a serious franchise, right? That not that that's a bridge too far, but it's like oh, that's that's who I'm that's who I'm getting into business with more more of that type of thing. Yeah. Um, we'll we'll breeze through this this next one. Uh, how many teams from this division do you think will make the playoffs? Not the play in the eight team Eastern Conference playoffs. Uh, I who I'm gonna say two. I think the Heat and Hawks get in. One. I think Atlanta gets seventh. Wow. Yeah, I, I think it's. I, I think two is more likely than one, but one is more likely than three. So. I mean, it's either Atlanta or Cleveland. I think really what we're talking about here, because I think that the five there are five teams that I think are pretty well set. Yeah. Well, no, they can still them. make it in as the seven. Like if you just win. Oh, I thought you were just talking about who's in the top six. No, no, yeah, who's who makes no. who makes the final eight? Because they could be ninth oh, and make it in or whatever. They'll, they'll make the final eight. Yeah, I just and two. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. I didn't. No, 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 no worries. No worries. Um, there's the question. Yeah, yeah. I, I apologize. The play in has made me try to phrase that differently but i muddled it a little bit and then we'll end this with um players i i, I talk about breakout but what i mean by that is players that we'll be talking about differently a year from now so it doesn't have to be becoming a superstar it could be just they're at a different level of stature hmm. that's a good question this is the one that kind of had me stuck because i can see a lot like i the very easy answer for me i think is going to be Haywood highsmith like i think he's going to play important minutes for this team i love that i love that that's the very easy answer for you that is like (laughs) everything you need to know about the guy is Duncan right there i love it i love it that that's that that is like you in a nutshell right there the the brand is the brand is the brand uh like i think that one also i kind of want to touch on this during the atlanta discussion but in terms of players needing to slide into new roles and how they can maybe grease the wheels elsewhere, like the Onyeka Kwangu usurping Clint Capella at some point, like even even if it's not this year but next year, like I think it's going to be an important step for Atlanta to raise their ceiling. Because I think that helps some things. That helps the John Collins issue. Because I think if you can just use Onyeka in the high post as a passer and stuff, that opens up more space and more usage for a guy like John Collins as well. So I'll keep an eye on Onyeka Haywood uh, Highsmith. Um, it doesn't it's not if you're going to try to have a young guy usurp the veteran you tend not to want to sign the veteran to a big contract extension yeah that's yeah yeah you well, know you um, know what i mean like yeah. there is a slight <laughs> divergence there um I'll, I'll add two second year guys that i'm interested in who had kind of weird rookie years jalen johnson i really liked yes. in summer league in 21 and if he can step into a larger role maybe that facilitates something happening with john collins but also it just gives the hawks something a little bit different there and then Jalen Suggs. And Suggs had, you know, it was a weird rookie year. He dealt with injuries. It wasn't especially offensively what we hoped for him. But he has an opportunity now. And, like, this is a better a better group. And I guess they're considering, I mentioned him on the podcast, and all of us went, oh, yeah, he's still on the team. Jonathan Isaac? <laughs> like, he's a good basketball player if he can ever play basketball. Yeah. I just worry about uh, breakout with him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but. I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna say Markel Fultz, but it could. But Suggs is a good answer too. Oh, and and Monte Morris, just I think he's. I mean, he was a starter last year because of Jamal Murray, but I, I think he's gonna have a good year. He he is just who he is, though. I mean, that's the beauty of Monte Morris. <laughs> you can put him in like any situation; he'll do literally the exact same thing. Uh, so I feel like he's like the antithesis of this question. I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm going to say Marco Fultz. Uh, I think he will have a bounce back season and we will, the magic will regret not trading Cole Anthony sooner. 
All right. Well, thank you guys so much for taking the time to come on. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having and putting up with our BS. <laughs> Thanks again to Nikias and Mike for taking the time to come on. You can read Nikias's work at the Basketball News. You can also listen to him, of course, on the Dunker Spot podcast, which is absolutely excellent. And he's done some really cool stuff with playback. And Nikias does great WNBA work, too. So if that is something that interests you, of course, it's still, still going on right now. Got the finals coming up. And so can definitely check out his work there. And Mike Prada. He's now a staff editor at The Athletic, which is super exciting for me as a writer at The Athletic. And also his book, Spaced Out, How the NBA Three-Point Revolution Changed Everything You Thought You Knew About Basketball, is coming out in a few months. I believe it's November. And you can check out his Twitter handle, at um, Mike Prada NBA, M-I-K-E-P-R-A-D-A-N-B-A. And that has all the details in terms of pre-ordering. And then I forgot Nikias' Twitter handle. Somehow you don't follow him already. It's N-E-K-I-A-S-N-B-A. Love having... Both of them on. If you want to support the show, there are a lot of different things you can do. You can subscribe, download every episode in whatever podcast player you choose, whether that is Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or, or anything else. Really do appreciate it. And since the show's never going to come out on a specific day of the week, you can't get in the habit otherwise. So just subscribe and download. Really does help out. You can also help other people find the show through leaving a rating or review in that same podcast player or word of mouth, you know, telling people on social media or in person or whatever that you think an episode or the show in general would be good for them. You can also check out my other work. While most of the Dunked On and Dunked On Prime guests right now are not me, Nate and I did a breakdown of the Donovan Mitchell trade, of course, when that happened and a few other ones. And the the episodes he does with team-specific experts are absolutely excellent. You can check those out too. And I should have some written work at The Athletic in the next little bit. I'm still on a version of vacation, so I'm not writing as much. I actually have a couple things that I've been working on, but I haven't finished them yet. So keep an eye out, but then you can check, you'll, I'll tweet it when it happens, so you can take a look there. And yeah, I'm really excited. You know, I'm coming up towards the next season, you know, about a month away at this juncture, and I, I may do something on Eurobasket. I actually attended the last day of group stage in Milan, and I'll probably keep an eye on what happens from this point moving forward. We'll see how much time I have. I will not attend any of the rest of it in person if you have any feedback on the show good bad or indifferent danny larue nba at gmail.com is the way to get it to me if you take the time to write it i will take the time to read it that is an absolute promise replying especially right now not exactly the greatest thing but if you want to send me feedback i will read it that's the whole point so thank you so much for listening take oh i almost forgot the most important thing you can do to support this show and any other that has them is to check out our sponsor for that's betonline.ag Use that CLNS50 promo code, which for you, most importantly, gets you a 50% welcome bonus and also tells them that you came from us, which helps us, and they hopefully will continue advertising on this very podcast. We can keep the podcast lights on. And now that is actually all for now. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.